right in front of him. Crowd are looking, throws it alley. Oh! Welcome in to the Just Basketball Show for Wednesday, July 12th. I'm Chris Manning. That is Brennan Clean. If you haven't already, please follow and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform of choice. Five-star reviews only. And hit that subscribe on the Just Basketball Fans YouTube channel. By the way, shout out to our friends at Homage. If you don't know, Homage makes the best specialty apparel, the most comfortable, ultra-comfortable apparel you can get. They have NFL, NBA, MLB, WNBA, a ton of other great licenses. Click the link below in our notes, uh, in the podcast description, wherever you're listening or watching. Some of the money from your purchase comes back to us at the Just Basketball Show. Support the show by clicking that link. Shout out to our friends at Homage. Brennan, our big theme of today is going to be weaknesses of NBA contenders post-free agency. Now, there are some notable free agents left out there. You know, the Lakers are talking about getting another center. Um, you know, there were workouts. I, I have a slop of the week that isn't in the outline that I'm going to just throw at you later on. Uh, that involves some names. I wonder if I think they might be trying to get to some some bigger teams, but we'll see. We're also going to talk about Cooper Flagg and Cameron um, Boozer, who are two of these real prospects. Brennan got to watch them. Uh, I did not get a chance to watch them in the Peach uh, the, was it the Peach Jam finale, I believe, was there it went head-to-head in? Yes, although you're making it seem like I flew to South Carolina. I, I uh, Me, along with anyone else who has ESPN, watched it. But I, I'm down to talk. I'm excited to talk about them because I've also seen the other dude in that class live who we've talked about on this podcast before. So we're going we're gonna to zoom out. We're going to look ahead three years to that draft, which should be kind of an all-timer, honestly. Yeah, 2026. A lot will happen between yep. now and then. Uh, but Brennan, let's start with the NBA Cup, which I guess is what we're calling this in-season tournament. I guess that's the name. They did a big trophy presentation uh, that we have the brackets. We have a lot more information about this this cup. And now that we, Brennan, have seen what this is going to look like, we know when the games are going to be. How are you feeling about this? You know, how are you feeling about like what this is going to look like and what this kind of sets up to be? I'm hoping you might be able to sort of sell me on on your entry because it does feel like you are maybe excited by the idea a little more than me. Because the way that I'm looking at this straight up is just I'm not going to care until the, the the actual finale in Vegas. Because it's just, I mean, the WNBA has been doing this for a few years. I covered the first ever final was in Phoenix and kind of got to like dip my toes in and the players disgusted and whatnot and like i don't imagine that some of the group stage stuff that is basically just a a regular season game that counts for a little bit more is going to get players in any sort of different headspace and i mean then the teams that are better are just going to naturally win is kind of where i'm at and then when it gets to the you know final tournament that's in vegas the knockout rounds with a few games between like the fourth and the ninth of December, I'll watch that. And I am excited for that. But up until then, I, I don't even think people are going to notice because that's kind of been the pattern in the W is, oh yeah, this one is a commissioner's cup game, which is what they call it. Great. Cool. This team won. Sounds good. And then we move on. So let me ask you, let me ask you this um, to, because this, I think does somewhat come from the WNBA side. What did the players in that final in, in overtime, did they 
care about these games in a different way? Did they talk about them in a different way? Was there any extra value put on these games by the players themselves when when these when these games happened? Well, so the one difference with the WNBA is they don't have like the tiny tournament at the end. Sure. It's just one game. So no one, no. I mean, to answer your question again, like nobody really seems to even notice when the regular season games that count for Commissioner Cup action happen. That I don't, I don't even think fans or or athletes or coaches or anybody involved pays a, a an ounce of attention. You just try to win, especially in that league when there's fewer regular season games. They all matter. So that's kind of the approach. I will say, and the one thing that I do think is getting a little bit overlooked here in terms of the structure and just. There's been a lot of chatter of, again, why will anybody care? I do think, you know, $500,000 is not a lot for LeBron James. $500,000 is a lot for Jackson Hayes, right? If you're, if you're talking about the Lakers, like that is like a quarter of his salary. And so that was one of the biggest things, especially in the WNBA where salaries are obviously smaller and that's a big uh, subject of conversation Sue Bird and and that Storm team that won that year, the first one that, that they ever had, their whole thing was like, this is actually really big for the end of the roster. Like, this is a legitimate check for them that that can give them some stability. And so that's cool. I mean, I don't expect any you know NBA fans to necessarily care about that. But in terms of whether a team might get up for it, I do think there is a little bit of that of, hey, the rookies or the end of the bench guy or this dude who's kind of trying to get back into the league like they're getting some life-changing money depending on how much their salary is so that this is where my interest comes in my interest is in do we get some chicanery do we get some nonsense do we get some some young teams that make a run because i i think from a purely basketball product from like what the games are going to look like we don't know this is this hasn't been done before we don't know like if you go to the groups right so let's take let's take east group B, for instance, okay? You have the Bucks, the Knicks, the Heat, the Wizards, and the Hornets. I, I could see a world, Brennan, where a team like Miami or a team like Milwaukee looks at this and says, yeah, we care more about Larry O'Brien. We care more about Jew than we do this December thing in Las Vegas. So, like, let's just, like, punt on this. Let's, like, Giannis has some knee tendonitis or whatever. Like, I, I think that's very possible. You go to East Group A, why is Joel, why would Joel Embiid like care about this? Like maybe he just wants to get a trophy. Maybe we're gonna get get up in like the soccer discourse situation where like we're like no hasn't hasn't yeah. won a trophy because there's like two trophies that could win, right? So like we could get there. I I just think we need to see what this is gonna look like. Where my interest comes in is okay. Does a a team on the upswing, like do the Orlando Magic like make the most out of this? Win their group somehow and get there do yeah. do the oklahoma city thunder do that in the west and do we get like young exciting teams that haven't won anything yet teams that have something to prove teams that are still in the up and up that realistically don't have a shot at june but can they make some noise here yeah. and, and we get some upsets and some fun stuff that way and it's smart to do it uh in the time that they are for a couple of reasons one this is a portion of the schedule where the nba struggles to get eyes and so having something that they can even just naming in an event all this stuff we know that that those types of tricks work to get people to watch so from that point of view i i get that i also think it's smart because you're you're gaming out the fact that teams aren't going to have as many injuries by the time that this stuff is going on and young teams like you're saying might actually 
still, you know, feel good about themselves and actually be going for it. There's no tanking going on. So all that stuff from a scheduling standpoint, I, I totally get. I do think part of what uh, maybe to what you're speaking to that that I, I can kind of illustrate or, or agree on is it's similar to the the lower level teams that got invited to the bubble, mm. you know, and, and obviously like anyone who remembers kind of the beginning of this, this sun's run and, and I'm based in Phoenix will remember that they went eight and zero in the bubble. And that's kind of what interested Chris Paul when he was looking around the league of what types of teams might be in the market to trade for him. And that's sort of the beginning of this, this era of, of Phoenix suns basketball. And I think you could see some of that where it's like some superstar on some podcast comes out in the summer, you know, after this upcoming season. And let's just say like, Let's let's say that the the Cavs win the the in season tournament, and it's like, yeah, you know, like the way that that young team kind of came together and and beat, let's say, whoever wins East B. Let's say Damian Lillard and the Heat win the the B bracket in the East, and the Cavs beat them. You could imagine that level of intensity and kind of winning something like that, rolling over and developing a level of respect. Because we've seen that before with the bubble or different, even just sort of, oh, remember the Thunder beat the Lake, almost beat the Lakers in the first round that one year. Like, I think it'll add to some of that for sure um, in terms of kind of the team building and respect that that guys get. But I think you're right that those are the groups that are probably going to come at this with the most care. Like, I don't think the Heat or the Suns or the Bucks or a lot of the teams we're going to talk about today when we go through the contenders are going to value this very much. Yeah, I think I think the teams that could really benefit from this, I think, are the young teams. But I think a team like Cleveland, like you mentioned, they got knocked out in the first round of the playoffs last year. They had a great regular season. It didn't amount to anything. I think pursuing winning this to learn from it, I think, could be really good for them. Um, I also think I would expect tinkering. I would expect league adjustments i would expect things as time goes on for the league to adjust as we go here right like i think year two of this could look a little bit different you know um i I just just could the group part of it is what's weird to me because it kind of doesn't matter who's in your group because the knockout stage only involves the teams that win the groups and most of the teams in your group are teams you would already play a lot anyway there are a lot of division opponents or regional connections teams like like the suns just being the team that i covered they're already going to play the Lakers and the Trailblazers a ton. Those are two teams in their division that are, you know, a short flight away. So it's just going to feel like regular, regular season games. And then all of a sudden, then whoever wins, okay, now things get interesting. But that was one part of it that jumped out. I saw a lot of fans online being like, okay, which team is in, which teams are in my team's group and who do I need to care about? And it's like, honestly, nobody until they all get to Vegas and then you'll have some rivalries and different matchups to, to be worried about. But that, that part of it jumped out as like, they got to figure that out. And I know that, you know, Mark Stein had something on kind of like, can you make it a little more soccerish? where could you get G league teams involved? Could you, you know, cause that's part of what makes the, the cup stuff fun overseas is it's like, Oh, it's a, it's a division three English team that suddenly is up one Oh on Manchester United and holy shit, like tune in. Cause this, this is about to get wild. You know, we don't really have that. I here. would love that. Um, I think logistically, I think where that gets harder is just that I could absolutely see p- team pushback from teams being like, okay, yes, you add every G league team that makes us more chaotic. That makes them more fun. I think you could see some guys talking about how they don't want to get embarrassed in that situation. Like we know that that ego is a real thing, which is dumb. And secondly, you know, the longer this goes on, I think you'd have 
less interest in teams and people participating in the in what the NBA is doing, obviously, as a TV product. This is a business story as much as it is a basketball story. That like if you get closer to April and May, it's like why am I putting effort and why why do I want to play extra games in 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 March, late March or something? Let's just say or, or early March, and then you're competing against March Madness as well. Like there there's a lot of like logistical reasons why I like I love on paper the G League idea. I think there's a lot of reasons why that at least for year one isn't there. Um, sure. Also, just like will be very funny if they just don't get teams that have like marquee value in this, and then like they people freak out over TV ratings for no reason. Even the basketball is good. I'm already like expecting like a couple teams that people are like why are the hornets like how did the hornets get here and there's not like interest and people freak out over tv ratings because people decide that's something they need to use their energy on i think it's going to do pretty good ratings period especially in year one and i think people who are worried about the level of competitiveness or who's in it and whether it does well whether the players are you know whether it's good for the game capital g capital g uh stuff like that should just look at the end season or I'm sorry, the play-in games, because those have been a roaring success. The basketball is awesome. And I do think it's incentivized teams to kind of give it their all in, in that stuff. I'm, I'm not going to use the heat example and be like, see what it did for the sport. But I do think it's it's helped. And, and the games have been awesome every year. So I, I would trust that the, the knockout games are going to be pretty good. Um, you had a note in here about expansion, and this actually kind of leads me to my only real thought. Adam Silver basically telling us that Everything is is proceeding as planned regarding expansion post TV deal, which is negotiations can start in next spring and then it's kind of going to be finalized in the following 12 months or so after that. And, and basically from that point on, the focus will become expansion and the usual suspect cities are on the map and everything else. I wonder if Vegas is actually better as an event city for the league still. Between this, if it, especially if it continues to get bigger, G League Ignite is doing another international competition with the team from Australia in September after they did the thing with Mets 92 and Wemby in October of last year, and then obviously Summer League. I wonder what happens to these types of things if there's an actual team in Vegas, because then there would start to be some some jealousy. Hey, the Vegas team gets all this shit too, you know? Like, so I wonder, I wonder if they actually might end up keeping Vegas clean so to speak of a of an actual team what do you think i think it's possible i, I would be curious to see what the, the people that are going to spend billions upon billions of dollars to get on this would want like did, does one of them i mean we kind of know lebron wants to like maybe on the vegas team you know um i also just you know i seattle and vegas are the two that just make the most most sense to me and i understand like there's all this other vegas stuff like, I don't know. Like, does Louisville as, like, an NBA city seem super sustainable? No. Like, I, I like Louisville. It's a cool place. I'm not... I'm. You've been to Louisville? Mm -hmm. One time. It was nice. Nice. Yeah. Here's the thing, Brennan. As someone from Cleveland, Ohio, I have solidarity with all other cities that people will crap on there being a pro sports team in. Okay? Central and Midwestern everywhere cities the, every, that every, Everywhere that is not a coast, yes. Okay? Yes. Yeah. I'm not on a coast. Yeah, but like Phoenix is like a place people like. It's a suburb of LA, okay. really. Like so. six hours, six hours away, suburb. Regardless, like I just think Seattle and Vegas geographically make sense. They make sense, I think, in a business sense, and like Seattle obviously has a really a good story hook to it as well. And you can also do like some pretty obvious conference realignment. Those two teams go to the west, and like Minnesota and Memphis yeah. go to the east, or something like that. Those those are very easy things to do. 
Yeah, I think that's always what's made the most sense. Uh, kind of fixes multiple problems at once. I do like the idea of Mexico City. I'm not sure if the league's going to be at a point where that makes sense in three years. I think logistically that's just hard. They just got the 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 G League program there off the ground, and you know, security wise, and uh, you know, just Toronto's a natural partner because there's always been a team there for a very long time, and you know, there's other sports have been there and everything else. Mexico City would be the kind of the the NBA going first. So I don't know if you know three, four, five years from now it's it's going to be at that point. I'm also curious what happens with the Portland sale. I think Portland should have a team. I think they have a, an amazing fan base and a very long history of success, but you never know that, that, that way I'm sure is on people's minds, but yeah, moving Memphis and, and Minnesota to the, to the East should be, or even new Orleans should be the easy, like kind of part of this, no matter where the, should, the should teams those teams be jockeying, like advocating now. It's like, Hey, like, you know, I wouldn't mind us being in the East should like Memphis and Minnesota and New Orleans be like, you know, like trying to, to, to barter behind the scenes, try to get moved over to the East. It kind of feels like new Orleans is the least likely because they're so close to the Texas teams where it's like, Hey, you just, you're at least close to Houston and Dallas and San Antonio. So you don't have to complain about that. Whereas Minnesota, it's just like, good Lord, stop making those dudes be jet lagged at a certain point. Like Rudy Gobert is seven one. Can you, can you let him stretch his legs? Yeah. Please? And then you're going to get like, and then you'll be, I'd also feel for them. Cause it's like a lot of their California troops just get cut off, like much less time in LA for, if you play for the Minnesota Timberwolves. True. Yeah. It makes it even less desirable to play for Minnesota. Cause you're going to, I guess they get a couple more to New York. That's not bad, but it is. I mean, look, I, you can look, here's the thing. If you have NBA money, well, Miami. yeah, you get more Miami. Also, also, bad. just to, just to be very clear, if you have money at their level, you can have a good time whatever city you're in. Also, and if you're and if you're and if you're yes. somewhat curious about like it's twenty yeah, and if you're curious about like restaurants and like not just like Google and I I know like these are business trips, but like you can you can I encourage I I this is like my word of advice when people like come here and then complain about being in Cleveland. You're, you're be, I understand that you're like going to the restaurants right outside your hotel, but like, I don't know, man, like get an Uber and like go a neighborhood over and go somewhere cooler. It's not hard. I mean, when you can rent out an entire restaurant or at least the private dining room of any restaurant in the city, it's, it's a shame. There's not more creativity. I do think NBA guys have like their favorite nicer spots yes. in their hometown. So, you know, Brendan, but, but, uh, yeah. Look, not everybody's Greg Popovich with with his, yeah. you know, taste and creativity and exploration of every single culture that he. Uh, Brendan, I, I will uh, when you're here. I will. Well, I we will not go there unless you want to blow some serious bag, and uh, you know maybe just the just sports folks will let us write this off. You started with blow some serious, and I was getting extremely nervous based on where no, that was no, going to no, no. go. Um, I will show you the steakhouse that Shaq rented out for his birthday and All Star Weekend. I will show you where this is. And also Giannis and stuff like rent each rent like half it after that all-star Saturday, Sunday night. I can tell you that's not Shaq's new chicken restaurant. One of the, a location of it, like he owns like a, or co-owns a chain of, uh, I don't even know what kind of chicken. I don't think it's like hot okay. chicken. I think it's something else. Uh, and, and one of them's opening. Gotta make Phoenix. a, gotta make not up for cool. those crypto losses somehow, you know? Oh, I think he's, uh, I think he's more than okay. Just ask him about vitamin water. <laughs> That, and and then on that, like 2000 and, and, he's, and he's still in the general insurance ads. All right, let's move on to weaknesses 
for NBA contenders. There's no other place to start, Brennan, than the Denver Nuggets, who won the NBA championship. Silver, the best player alive. Uh, according to our friends at BetMGM, they have odds next season of winning the title at plus 475. That makes them the favorites. Here's where I start with this. They have Jokic and Murray, and they're bringing like, most of the band back together. That should make them the favorites. The team is still going to be really good. But you lost Bruce Brown, who was really important for your team, a really key bench piece, fit perfectly, did all this really small stuff. And not as importantly, you also lost Jeff Green, who gave you good minutes, who Mike Malone clearly did trust. This team, its depth, what it yeah. looks like beyond its stars, it is going to look a little bit different. It is going to take some feeling out and adjustments and some mistakes, I think. I think that is the biggest thing, is just what does this depth look like with some of these exits we've seen this summer. And is someone like Najee ready to step up? Is is, is the, the Holiday brother they got good enough? You know, does does Browns take a step forward? Like, does Hunter Tyson, is he, or Strawweather, like, who picks I like, are those picks ready to contribute day one? I, there are some real questions, I think, about their deeper depth as we go here. So you're, you have their weakness as just yeah. depth, yeah. just straight yeah. up. Yeah. Yeah, the way that I put it was experience. I just think like some of those names you rifled through could be good, but we just don't know. And that's a lot to bet on when you're a team with a championship window that is as long as, you know, Nikola Jokic's prime and and your health will allow. And I guess to a degree, the expensiveness of the team, but that's not a concern right now. It's like maybe Brown and Watson, who I think is probably the most likely of their young guys because it'll be his second season. To, to take a step forward. Hunter Tyson was very good. I watched their first summer league game and he looked the best of their young dudes. Uh, to me, at least in terms of being NBA ready, I like to me, he's kind of just a better version of what Vlako Chanchar is for them. Like just can play basketball and shoot. And that's, and, and is big. Um, I mean, the other part of this though, for Denver is I feel like it's almost taboo to mention because the dudes who have had injuries for them are, pretty serious and it's like you don't want to kind of wish that on them but they were incredibly healthy last year even by separating the the season-long stuff that their guys had had like for any NBA team that was a really really healthy season so if they even have one guy miss 40 games for something that's just pretty normal that would make a big difference in terms of where they are in the standings or if it happens during the playoffs you'd be pretty worried because then you're relying on those young guys 100% and Look, again, they have Nikola Jokic. He is going to get them to a certain place. But if, if the infrastructure isn't quite as good, you, the injury lock goes a certain way. You know, if Jokic like twists an ankle and missed 10 games, like their path is going to be harder. Repeating is really hard. I, I would have the Nuggets right now as my favorites, but I, I wouldn't. It's not a lock. Yeah, plus, I mean, Mike Malone doesn't like to play young guys. Like that was a thing basically until he kind of let it let it go and, and rolled with it with Christian Brown in the playoffs, just because I think Brown gave him no choice and having a wing out there was a necessity and they didn't have a, a great That's, option, but is he going to roll with it? Or are they going to, they just paid Reggie Jackson sure. 5 million bucks. Like, are they just going to say, they he's our thing look even better, but this, is, this is what I've liked about what Calvin Booth has done with this roster to some degree is that he's kind of taking some of these choices out of Mike Ballone's hands. Like he doesn't have, he he's going to have to try to play some of these young guys to fill minutes. At least in the regular season. Yeah, and like, but even even if you look at where Bruce Brown is gone, it's like there's only so much he can reasonably like up KCP's minutes or up 
Michael Porter Jr.'s minutes. Like at some point, like Brown, who I, I'm sure he trusts more post title. You know, there's one of these rookies really catches eye. He's gonna kind of get forced into playing some of these things, which is I I always like when GMs do that. I mean, but look though, like they still have Reggie Jackson, Zeke Naji, Vlako Chanchar, Justin Holiday, and DeAndre Jordan. That's who Mike Malone's eyes are going to when he looks at the roster. You just have different eyes well, than Mike what, Malone. The, I where I would like. say I, I feel a little bit more confident in myself is that look at where the minutes are going to need to be filled. It's on the wing. Like, I, I think some like he might not have a choice but to try the wings just to like approximate the wing minutes they lost. Like Conchar, Kankar, Vlaco. I'm just going to call him Vlaco. He, him or Naji. Like, okay, maybe they fill the Jeff Green minutes, and that's enough. Yeah. But you look at the Bruce Brown minutes, it might be more Christian Brown, but it's also going to need to be like, is it Peyton Watson? Is it Hunter Tyson? Is it Strawweather? Like, you know, Holiday feels like it's like, hey, we got you a 34-year-old veteran who's been around a long time. Like, don't yell at me, Mike Malone. But I, what I like about when GMs do this is they say, we know what... Like, the, this is why I think, like, that separation, as much as it exists of church and state between the front office and the coaching staff is good. Because the, the front office is telling you this is what you have to work with. Maybe there's a trade to make later on or something like that. That can always obviously happen. But the way the Nuggets have decided we're going to draft a bunch and they traded for those picks and during the finals and things to like really set themselves up. I think clearly the front office is sending a message to Mike Malone that it's like we got to like part of our success here is going to be getting the most out of young guys and you making them work. I think the roster feels set up for one of these guys to have to pop for it to work. That's what it feels like to me personally. Yeah, and I, I, I'm kind of playing devil's advocate because obviously I think you know I would do it that way. I mean, we, 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 we like some of these young guys. I thought Zeke Nagy would too. play more uh, during the, the playoffs, to be honest with you. And then he had an injury late in the year, and maybe that had something to do with it. I don't think his athleticism and mobility is quite right, and they obviously unlock something going small in that second unit. So to me, the guy to watch is Peyton Watson. I mean, Christian Brown is an obvious one, but we already have seen it from him. And Peyton Watson is like the ceiling of what Peyton Watson is as a 6'9", 6'10", dude who can create his own uh, shot and and kind of make athletic defensive plays. Like, you know, you're talking about like the the high, high end of him is do you have a Michael Porter Jr. or Aaron Gordon replacement already? Uh, the the low end might just be a, a rotation player. And so... I uh, I'm going to be watching him pretty closely and I think he'll be in. The I also like I, as much as you know, you believe in guys that obviously more like blue chip draft prospects. I like Strawweather and I like Tyson a lot. Those are two guys um, that I watched a bunch vis-a-vis just seeing second round prospects for for Cleveland purposes. And I like the way both those guys play. Um, so I'm, I'm a fan of both those. All right, let's move on to the Miami Heat. Brendan, who played in the NBA finals as well. They are plus 900. Uh, via the our friends at Ben and Jim, that is obviously subject to change. You have the same name, Brennan. That my the weakness is that they haven't done the Damian Lillard trade yet. That that's what makes this team a bona fide title contender that can compete for the top of the East. I might not have to go through the sludge again to get there. I I think it's it's about does this Dame trade get done? What does it cost them? Because if you, you should run through this, but if you look at their depth chart without a Dame trade, you're not like, man, that's that's a top three team in the East or anything by that just on paper. Yeah, I mean, sure things in their rotation if they don't do the Lillard trade. And like, I actually haven't hated the the signings that they've made. And, you know, Caleb Martin took a step forward in the playoffs. You would expect that continues. Jovic and Hakez both look like they could play. 
it's not an awful team, but it's not a championship contender. It's Lowry, it's Hero, it's Josh Richardson, it's Jimmy Butler, it's Caleb Martin, Bam Adebayo, and then, you know, outside of that, you have the rookie, you have Jovic, you have Thomas Bryant, you have Kevin Love. Like, that's another team that's kind of trying to, to fight for a sixth seed, I think, next season, especially because Lowry, if you asked us about him in March, I think most NBA fans would have thought, like, you can't go into a season with him as your starter anymore in 2023. He had a nice postseason, but that might be the case again. And then you have one less dude out of the guys I just said. I I like, a, I agree with you. I like a lot of the moves. Like, I think Richardson back on a really cheap deal to maybe rehabilitate him isn't a bad bet. You know, Love, I think, was really solid for them for the most part. You're right about Martin. Thomas Bryan is like a reclamation center project. It's kind of interesting to me. Um I, I like him as a player. I thought he would have. I, I I would like. I would rather have him on my team than Christian Wood. You know, like I would rather have Thomas Bryant on my team than Christian Wood. And yeah, especially for them. You know, they've had a lot of those guys where they can put the training wheels on. And if if you can play with Bam because you're able to shoot, then your life just becomes really easy. You know, just ask Kelly Olynyk, Myers Leonard, those shooting bigs, and and Love. Right, like that that archetype works there. So I would imagine Bryant looks a lot better this year but than this, he has elsewhere. Look, they made, they've made two finals in four years. They have Eric Spolstra, Heat Culture, blah, blah, blah. All that stuff is true. I just don't... This team gets really serious and scary and becomes like a boogeyman to the rest of the East and for the league if they get Damian Lillard. Lillard, Butler, and Bam is just like a lock-solid core. That That is an amazing big three. It, compl- it complements what Dame's weaknesses are really, really well. You know, maybe they still kind of ease through the regular season considering Dame's 33, Jimmy's injury history, all that stuff. But like they're if they get Dame, like this team is up there for me. Like I don't, I I might have them as my favorites in the East if they get Dame. I might just just hop all the way on the bandwagon if we go there. Considering some, we'll talk about some other teams in the East. There's a lot of questions about team in the East. The window is there for Miami. I think if they go do this, um, and I I don't know, I don't think their odds are jumping Denver necessarily. But you know, like Boston, who we'll talk about in a little bit, is at plus five hundred. I can see them being pretty close odds wise if they go out and get Dame, you know, plus five fifty, plus five twenty five, somewhere in that range. Yeah. yeah, I think they should be the favorites if they get Dame. I would imagine in an in a in a real world setting, they will be very quickly because people will enjoy putting money on them because it's fun to bet on the team that makes the sexy move. I do feel like it, you know. That is the piece that they, yeah, that is the piece that they need. I mean, they need a dynamic guard. It's. It's why they drafted Tyler Hero. It's why they traded for for Kyle Lowry. It's why they tried to sign Victor Oladipo. Like they know it. You know, they we don't have to like guess or try to analyze it for ourselves. Like they've shown us with their moves that that's what they think they need. And and he's one of the best at that. And the in, the infrastructure to kind of protect him defensively. We've already seen with guys like Hero who aren't great on that end. And yeah, I mean, to me, it's kind of like, do they keep Caleb Martin? Do they have to play Yusuf Nurkic? Some of those questions are going to maybe define like the little bit of, of distance between them and these other teams. But as we're about to talk about, not super high on Milwaukee or Boston personally. So it's kind of there for the taking. Well, let's go, let's go to Boston next. Uh, we're going to, they're at plus 500. And Milwaukee, I, I'm a little skeptical with them as well. But for, for me, Brennan, the Boston thing comes out of, it, it's about change. They are really changing their identity with what they are. You know, Porzingis is not... You can't switch the way you did with Porzingis. Like, you can't switch with Porzingis the way you did with your bigs and your situation last year. You know, you're going to lose something with Marcus Smart. Um, you're a Brogdon injury away from feeling really, really thin at guard. And you obviously try to trade Brogdon. And, like, what is his vibe going to be considering he knows very publicly you 
kind of had a deal set up to, to get him to the Clippers. You know, the coaching staff is better uh, with some of the guys that brought in. Most notably, I think Sam Cassell and Charles Lee. They have Tatum. They have they have Brown. Like, those two guys are awesome. But this is like a real switch out of like what they were defensively and what has made them so ferocious on that end of the floor the last couple of years to accommodate Porzingis and not to mention Al Horford's year early, a year older, excuse me, and Time Lord's injury risk. Like, there, there's a lot of baked in. Like, here's what I would say. I think the ceiling is higher for Boston, but I think the floor is also lower. Yeah, that's an interesting way to put it. I I almost look at this roster and feel like there might be another move. I know well, we're late in the offseason. That type so of thing funny. doesn't it's, it's, really it's happen all the time. It's funny you say that because like, if you go look at all the second-round picks that they're acquiring, they're not like, getting all the second-round picks to just like take a bunch of guys. They're trying to get like as much ammunition as yeah. possible to to do something. What that is, I don't know. And it's just yeah, the Brogdon part of this, and maybe that maybe that that next trade is in February. You know, I'm not I'm not even saying it's going to happen tomorrow, but I just don't think they need Horford anymore. But I also don't think you want to lose him for nothing. And I understand he's been there for a long time, been part of a lot of great moments. You don't want to just kind of do what you did to him the first time. And, and he ends up in Oklahoma or what, what Philly did to him, which is send him to Oklahoma city. But that part of it is confusing. I don't know how you play all, all three of those bigs 25 plus minutes. It doesn't make a ton of sense, especially when they do different things and don't quite fit together as well as maybe they used to. They brought in a lot of these young wings, whether it's Walsh who they drafted or Brissett, Banton, uh, the the worst Champagne brother, unfortunately for them. Um, and then they have this Peyton Pritchard thing coming up where they need to, he's extension eligible right now. They don't seem to want to pay him. They've wanted to trade him for a while. He wasn't even in the playoff rotation. So you just kind of add all that up. And it's like, I don't know if this is their team. Uh, on the other hand, they did sort of cap themselves into uh, this version being their future group by giving Porzingis this extension, which just didn't make a lot of sense to me. Um, I don't know if you have more thoughts on the trade stuff, but I can give you my concern, which is one of the people well, we've already mentioned. Yeah, just tell me your concern. I, I think I, I think the other the only thing I would add about Horford is that I locker room wise, I think losing him and Smart in an offseason would be a real cultural test. And like you're, that's coming at some point anyway. You know, it, it'll be on Tatum and Brown to really like ascend in a certain way of kind of how we understand them. But if you d- dip both those guys in one offseason, that that I think there's something you wouldn't want to lose culturally in, in that sense. But what's your what's your big risk here? Yeah, my concern with Boston is Porzingis. It's just a lot riding on a guy being what he was last year on a bad team when he had the best year of his career if not an even better version than he, what he was on a bad team in a career year. And he shot better than he ever had. He's obviously big. The pick and pop stuff is, is very easy to picture with Tatum or with white or even with Brown. But the way that it sort of feels to me is you're swapping out the threes that maybe smart Grant Williams and Al Horford took for threes from Porzingis attacking a closeout by Porzingis. Does that make them better? It is It is just a... It is a lot to put on somebody that 
does the same things that your team already did and just trusting that an incrementally better version of that is what was missing for you. And I just don't, I didn't watch the Celtics feeling like if they just had a better version of Horford, this would be a winner. You know, I, that, that didn't feel like the problem. And maybe there is another move, like we said, but that, that felt like an imperfect solution to some of what we know has been the issue for them, which is just creating great shots late in playoff 100%. games. I, I think he's, it's a real prove it, at least in how we understand him, bet for Porzingis. And I think that's a real interesting thing for a team that has been... A, but they paid him before the, he had yeah. to prove it. But I mean, I mean, like part. the perception of what we are thinking about, I think that that to me is what I, what I mean. It's just kind of interesting in that way. That's all. Yeah, no, prove it to us. You're totally right. But they they seem to have seen everything they needed to see, which just is, I know you got to just, you got to spend money. You got to pay players. That's part of running a team. But like, there was there was no pressure on them, you know, to to give him an extension. Like they already traded for him. He's in the best situation he's ever been in. Hey, play well and we'll give you an extension. Like, we'll do it. Like, you can trust us, but we got to see it first. And no. that didn't happen. Uh, curious decision. I, th- I would agree with that even if I understand. I understand how you get to that spot, but it's it carries much more risk. Um, even if you got really good assets back and turned into smart trade and stuff, it's just it, there's some risk there. Let's move on to the Bucks plus seven hundred per bet MGM. Brennan, what what is your what is your concern? What is your weakness for them as we exit free agency? Yeah, creativity, and I some of these I treated more as like what's missing, you know, and so I think that's or what they need. And it's, it's creativity. They were the 12th ranked half court offense last season, but they got a career shooting year from Drew Holiday, especially on pull up threes, like just unreal. He made an all star team very, you know, happy for the dude. Not sure if that's sustainable, you know, considering he's he's in the latter part of his career. We've seen crazier things happen, but I don't know if I can buy on that and more scoring from Brooke. You know, he kind of took his game back inside last year and started to post up and kind of attack switches and and carry some weight while Middleton was out as well. So I guess I just look at this team and I wonder what happens if Middleton still isn't quite peak Middleton. You don't get career years from Holiday and Brooke because they are also older. And the shooting overall from this team is still not awful, but not the best shooting team in the NBA. What happens then? Are you talking about a, 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 a the 20th ranked half court offense in the NBA, 15th or still 12th? Because this team's good enough. We know that. But even a little bit of sway in either direction, as we saw against Miami, they don't have a big margin for error. Mine is related to its age. This is an age question to me. This team has, has a lot riding on guys who are theoretically at the very back end of their prime or are exiting it. Let's run through the ages, okay? Pat Connaughton is 30. It's like right there for him. Crowder, who they got back on a minimum, 33. Drew Holiday's 33 years old. Does the cliff come for him in, in some way? Does he lose a half step on defense and it makes him less of the Swiss Army Knife monster? Brooks, 35. Middleton's 31 and has these injury issues. You have Portis at 28 in his prime. Giannis obviously is one of the best players in the world. He's 28, like he's in his prime. Little knee surgery, though. Little, little, we'll see what that 
means for him to really hope he plays the world cup because greece is in the u.s's group and it would really suck if he didn't play right so i i just look at this team brendan and i think okay did do they have an injection of energy do they have something in there that is going to elevate them and I, i you look at the options it's like okay you look at the younger options on their team Grayson Allen's 27. That's like, that's not the young and super young. Meek Bleasley, who they got is 20. He also had a, like an amazing year last season. So even if he just replicated that, you'd be pretty happy. I don't think you should expect him to be even better. Sure. You get through all of these things. It's like, okay, like Malik Beasley is like, we kind of know exactly what he is. You know, Chris Livingston, who they drafted at the end of the draft. That's a development project like that. That's, that's what that is. Like, Marshawn Bochamp has looked really good at Summer League, but he, you know, it's a step up. It, I mean, he's the guy. He's It's him. I mean, it, if it's going to be anybody, it's going to be him. That's a lot of pressure on Marshawn Bochamp, who I like, who I, I know is, is still pretty young and, and all this stuff. I mean, pressure for what? We're just talking about if, like, worst-case scenario and somebody needs to step up. But if it's already getting to worst-case scenario, you're probably screwed anyway. But he's, like, the guy that I would think would, could pop and be a, do, a pleasant surprise. Don't you just kind of think they need something like that in their rotation, I think, is I guess what I'm getting at. Like, I, this team just skews so sure. much older, so much more just based on experience and, like, guys Giannis knows. Like, that's where this roster is right now. Teams that get to to me, when you get too deep in that way, you get yourself in trouble. Bochamp's like the one lever barring a trade to kind of get them a lot of it. That's just, a, I think they kind of need him to pop to kind of maximize what they're going to be next year's where I kind of end up in this. And that that's a tough place to be. Yeah, no, you're probably right. If you're expecting like a new element of their team or something to sort of up their ceiling of what they could be it's it is probably him i mean andre jackson is really interesting but until he can shoot i think it's a really big question mark of how much he can impact like in summer league he looks awesome because he's the only guy who knows what the hell he's doing out there but he he does not have a jump shot and so i don't think he's going to play minutes for them this year crowder couldn't even crack their rotation in the regular season he's already old we know what he is malik beasley similar for the lakers could not crack the playoff rotation so you're probably talking about a top eight where bochamp is your eighth guy that is a lot of pressure, I suppose, just to kind of step into something like that. He is a second-year player, added a lot of size and, and you know, just physical bulk to it, uh, his frame this year and has made a lot of shots at Summer League. But that's how these teams roll it over. I mean, we were just speaking relatively optimistically that Denver could do that, so it's not crazy to think that Milwaukee could too. A lot of pressure on... I don't know what's going on there. A very fascinating on everybody and Adrian Griffin, not to mention uh, uh, the coach. Yeah, uh, a lot of pressure on on that gentleman. Yeah. All right, Brendan, I've kind of driven this a little bit. Um, I'm going to I'm going to take a quick interlude here to just note a couple teams we're not going to talk about. We're not talking about the Sixers because like the James Harden thing just hangs over it. And like I, I you know, you you said something pre-show that I, I'm not going to steal from you. But I think is correct. Um. Wait, no, steal it, because I don't know what I said. Oh, you can make a conference finals first. Oh, yeah, well, that was more just if if anybody were to watch this show who cares about the 76ers and feel like we were insulting them, um, you know. We're talking about teams who have recently been in the NBA finals or are right about to be back. Actually, no, every team we're talking about has been in the NBA finals in the past three years, yeah. so that's the cutoff, and the Sixers don't count. Yeah, so the, the addition of the Sixers, we're not talking about the Kings, the Cavs, the Knicks and the Grizzlies. Those are the teams on, on the cutting room floor in this exercise. Uh, we have a couple left. Brennan, where do you, we have three teams in the West to talk about still. Where do you want to go? Yeah. Let's talk about the Suns. Okay. Surprise, surprise. 
I'm hit. The weakness that I Bell, Bell, Bell. Yeah. Well, that's the first time. Yeah. I get. I get. I think I get. What was it? What was our rule? Two or three? Yeah. Something yeah. like that. Um. What they need is patience. And I wouldn't call that a weakness because I'm not trying to say that they don't have patience, but but we need to see that. Devin Booker and Kevin Durant don't even think we would say they figured each other out last year. They're just so incredibly talented that they took more games from the future champions than anyone else did by sheer force of just scoring ability, basically. Now they have Bradley Beal, who's going to have to pull a Ray Allen in 2008 and 2007 and figure out off ball what he's going to be able to do next to great, great players new head coach in Frank Vogel and a rotation that is interesting to a lot of people who scour the depths of the minimum market, but also involves a lot of finger crossing when you're talking about Jordan Goodwin, Kata Bates, Diop, Drew Eubanks, guys who were role players on bad teams last year who are expected to take a step forward on a great team. That's awesome in theory, but not everybody's Bruce Brown. So that is going to require patience too, to see who actually thrives in a bigger role on a better team versus who theoretically could do that. There is a championship team here. There is a version of this team that is better than the Denver Nuggets, but it's going to take a full regular season to find it, I think. Yeah, I, I think they are in deep process mode. And even if like we look at what they did in the summer, like I like the, the moves they made, I really love, like as far as depth signings. You know, like again, to compare that to, to Denver for a second, <laughs> um getting getting Eric Gordon at the minimum when Bruce Brown or excuse me, when Reggie Jackson costs like $5 million is like just really good bit of business. Um, you know, if you're the team that's going to take a flyer and bowl bowl, don't hate it. Like, why not? I guess, you know, what's, what's the, yeah. like, what's the risk? Not, not a ton. I, I would say the other challenge is I really wonder what Frank Vogel's take on this team is going to be. He's such an interesting fit for the way they have been built. Because like I, I would ask you this: Do you think that they can build the defensive spine needed, or have the capability to have a defensive spine needed to play the way that Vogel might want them to play, to to play the level of defense they might need to be as competitive? That that's where I end up with this because I, I think the offensive firepower is there. The offensive firepower for Phoenix is not is not a question. I think the question becomes health, but also does the defensive spine hold up? Is Aiton good enough? Is he motivated enough as a rim protector? Is KD going to be that Swiss Army knife defensive monster we've seen? I, I think that's where all my questions would go to. Is is do you hold up physically, and then it, by and large, kind of that way, do you get enough defensive juice out of the team? And, and on top of that, what does Bradley Beal look like defensively in a third role? What does he look like physically in a new situation removed from, from where he was at the end of his time in Washington? Yeah, let, let's just start with the obvious thing, right? The Suns aren't going to beat teams with defense. And so, but they never were going to, right? And I think that's part of what gets lost when you're talking about, when people are talking about the Suns offseason is there's this theoretical world where they were able to get a bunch of other stuff to balance their team out, but they didn't have the flexibility to do that because of the Durant trade in the CBA, not because of what they did with Bradley Beal. So they were always going to win on offense and Vogel is not a perfect fit in theory for what kind of roster you might want to see. But I think we might've said that about the Lakers too. Sure. Hey, do you want to get old LeBron and young bald white role player guy who you've never heard of named Alex Caruso and turn that into a championship defense? Like that wasn't what we thought was going to happen in 2019 when they hired Frank Vogel as their like fourth choice. Right. So I kind of think that's why you hire him to make the, the ill-fitting group become better than the sum of its parts on defense. 
And that is a big bet. Like, I'm not saying that's going to happen. The three places that I look, because I've kind of gone through this uh, before on the on the defensive side, Suns were terrible as a transition defense. They couldn't get a, a defensive rebound and they fouled like hell last year. You just fix those three things by playing vets and having a coach who cares about that stuff more and can can get it out of you. You're already kind of moving up the standings defensively in the regular season. And playoff defense is a whole nother thing. But again, that's why you hire Frank Vogel, I think, because he's going to be creative and scheme you into a better spot defensively to me the biggest questions are Aiton like you said is he going to be the the all defense type of guy that you probably need him to be and is Bradley Beal is he chopped liver out there or on a great team can he be passable because that's all you need him to be Brendan are you also bracing yourself for having to draw like pretty significant conclusions about this team's title chances in a world where like KD plays like 50 something games and, and Beal plays 50 something games and Booker maybe gets to like 70 and it's just like you feel like you'd never fully like it, I, that to me feels pretty realistic. They could get to yeah. a world where this doesn't all like coalesce in the regular season. And you're again with a longer timetable, obviously, but similar to last mm-hmm. year where it's like you're betting on this kind of getting figured out in, in April and May. Yeah, that's a part of why I think they maybe could have made a DeAndre Ayton trade or still should if if there is happens to be one out there. If you could split him into two pieces, that's nice in terms of depth because they do. It's not just depth to chase the balance of a roster with all the cap stuff and everything else. It's, it's to what you're saying uh, in terms of just having bodies in the regular season. I mean, to me though, the bill, the bill injury stuff is, is not as real as it's been made out to be. He, he didn't get vaccinated. So he missed a bunch of time with COVID. He had a couple th- times where he was basically shut down at the end of the season. The guy's 30. I don't expect Bradley Beal to be in a, in a wheelchair or a cast for the next five years of his career. Like he's fine. Uh, so it is, it is Durant. That is a question, but for the most part, this isn't an old team, all things considered. And they got a lot younger, even with their their minimum signing. So, yeah, to me, it's just patience. It comes back to that for me. Can they can they get the time? Can they gel? Can the right eight, nine man unit come together by April? And if so, like they have as good a chance as anybody in the league to win the whole thing. Uh, who's the fifth starter? I. It's very July of me because like, you know how your opinion on teams you care about a lot changes when you haven't seen anything just because you think too much about it. That's pretty much where I am with this stuff. But I think it's going to be Kata Bates-Diop from the Spurs. He's 6'8", can switch on defense, made a bunch of threes last year for the first time. If the shot can can come and he can make open spot up threes, which is really all he's going to need to do, that's a crazy type of guy to slide in there with the length and athleticism they already have with Durant and Aiton and Booker. So... I would do that. It might be a Kogi, might be campaign. We don't know. I don't like the campaign option. Probably won't be him. Bates Diop would be intriguing. If he can shoot it, if that's real, you got something there. Could be Josh Kogi too, you know, who started a lot for them last year and in the playoffs. They have options, I guess, is the point. Let's go to the Lakers, Brendan. Uh, you have size and that that would mine addition to just like Look, the, the the easy answer here that's very boring is to gesture at LeBron James Anthony Davis and be like, are you going to be healthy? Like, that's the easy one we could do here. Size is an, is an interesting one because they've also this week been linked to different kinds of centers. Uh, they've been linked to Jack... To, they want... The reporting from Johan Buha at The Athletic has been that they want a different kind of center than Jackson Hayes, which has linked them to, like, Christian Wood. Um, I don't think Christian Wood's a playoff player i don't think christian wood's particularly good i'm not a christian wood guy i think he's kind of empty such a lakers signing though wouldn't it be it's like hey we got this center who can get buckets 
just like the biggest name on the market and convincing yourselves you're going to be the team to kind of resuscitate his career when there's really no indication that he plays winning basketball. I mean, last year was just set up for him on a platter and he and he couldn't even, you know, stick in the starting lineup, let alone like make a real impact. So I hope it's not that. Were there other guys? Be- I didn't Be- see that article. Biombo is the other one that they, so the, 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 the reporting. I don't hate that no. actually. So, uh, he had that they had interest in Sarge before Sarge went to the Warriors. Um, and Palinka had said publicly that they want him with a different skill set than Hayes. I would go with, I like the Biombo one much more. I think that gives you a... a What's funny, though, is he has the same skill set as Hayes, basically. So I'm not sure if that's different. Well, I, but I, it, I, it's at least a body that you can kind of trust. Yeah, and like I think it gets you back to something resembling the team that won the bubble, where it's like you at least have defensive center options to throw out there, block shots, give fouls take some of the pressure off of AD, you know, like the, the way that they, he talked about it in, in the quotes he has in this article, the referring to Rob Polinka was like the hope that the exact sentence, uh, Johan has is the hope is that the athletic seven foot Hayes can compliment Davis the way Dwight Howard and JaVale McGee did that season. I, so I, I if I was the Lakers, I would want the Biombo over the, the mystery box of, of the Christian wood. Yeah, I think I would too. I I thought they might bring back Mobamba, but he's similar to Bull Bull where it's just like but you could keep speak could keep well, convincing yourself he's going to be something or you could just accept reality at a Well, point. so you know, the, he's probably not funny, an NBA player. So the the Mobamba thing is funny cuz he's now with the Sixers, which is like kind of wild, but also you got the you got B-ball Paul goes out and gets an offer sheet and um you you get the poison pill stuff in that contract. Just Danny Ainge, the only one out here skewering teams with RFA offers. So good for him. Yeah, I thought. I mean, Reed would have been awesome for the Lakers, but they didn't. Yeah, it wouldn't right. have made sense for them to spend anything on that. They got Gabe Vincent and everything, but yeah. It, so it's not exactly a huge issue, all things considered. It's just Davis's health. Hayes is also like there's a world where Jackson Hayes isn't an NBA player. Like even having him is is no sure thing. And they weren't a great rebounding team last year. We know their best identity is a small ball identity, but even the best small ball teams don't do that 82 games because it's tiring and exposes you. You're banging, you're switching, you're doing a lot of stuff that great teams don't want to have to deal with every night in the regular season. So I don't know where they go. Maybe it is a trade. Maybe there is something small that they can do. Maybe it's, you know, some guys on camp deals and they just try to see who can who can click. Maybe they bring back Wenyan Gabriel. He's not that great, but he's been there before. Biombo makes sense. It is going to be a hole for them. I, I think they've kind of missed out on anybody who would really make us feel differently. Yeah, I, I think this team's going to be really good, but it's all about the health. Um, their odds are at plus 1,100, if I didn't already say that from our friends at BetMGM. That's only a thing if LeBron and AD are healthy. This team is, look, we can, I, I think for me, Brendan, we can talk about playing big. We can talk about, you know, does Austin Reeves take another step forward? You, we, you know, we talk about how, like, the roster now makes sense. This team isn't going to hit its ceiling, isn't going to make the kind of run it's capable of unless LeBron is healthy and the foot's good. And we we don't have any update on that as of right now. And then Anthony Davis doesn't get hurt again. And those are things we just can't predict right now. Like we, I, their off season is, is a, the more I've thought about it, the more we've looked at it, the more time has gone by. It just makes so much sense for what their star players are, but it's just, if the star guys aren't out there and they aren't healthy and like what Darvin Ham doesn't, he, he's a, he proved himself, I think to be a pretty good coach into the playoffs. 
even he or even Eric Spolstra or any of these guys is not going to be able to solve for a world where AD and LeBron are, are not healthy and are not able to like even if you take it you even if you get to the playoffs and you manage them near the four seed and they're healthy I I love that team and that once you get to the 16 game season but those guys are banged up and hurt and not right then then you're in some real trouble yeah Anthony Davis hasn't played more than 70 games since 2017-18 you just have to factor in if you're Rob Polinka that that is a reality for you, you know? And to me, I guess my, my, my last point here, when you're talking about the bigs and their ability to withstand injuries and just have depth, Rui and Vanderbilt continuing to get better would be huge. Reeves will, but they have Vincent now. LeBron's going to handle the ball. They kept D'Lo. Reeves being just the same as he was last year is fine. I think Rui and, and Vanderbilt need to be at least as good as they were at their best moments, if not better. And, and that would be huge, especially if they go into the season with limited depth at the big spots. Yeah, fascinating team. Uh, LeBron, obviously, to me, will be always someone I want to watch. And I, Jake, our producer, Dylan Heiser, you're welcome for us giving you you know a, a good amount of Lakers chat here. All right, let's finish up, Brandon, with the Golden State Warriors. Busy offseason for them. Jordan Poole, gone. Draymond Green, new extension. Uh, get Dario Saric. Where are you at with Golden State? What's your concern here with them? So this is another oh, one where Chris, it's they a traded, little bit less. Oh, and they traded for Chris Paul. Bye. And duh. Duh. <laughs> yes. And did you see, yes. by the way? Uh, did you see the pictures? Well, I got pictures of him? Uh, SB Nation wrote a really great blog about how his jersey was wrinkled. And it was like this very awkward, like introductory press conference and um you know um well his comment about starting oh i did was, i did not see I, I, I did not see this oh really so he got asked a question about i think it was i didn't hear what the question was but judging from how it was referenced in some of the stuff that talked about his answer it sounded like the question was something like okay so chris you know it might be your first time coming off the bench, how are you going to adjust to that new role? And he said, oh, are you coaching? Very typical Chris Paul sarcastic answer, but also seems to indicate that he does not think he's going to be coming off the bench. Very, very confusing to me that he would end up there and have this much time pass after he's been a member of the Warriors and still be under the impression that he's going to be starting in place of... Clay Thompson, who's won four championships for them. Andrew Wiggins, who's better than him. Kevon Looney, who's their only big man. Who are we? Who are we putting to the bench for for CP if he thinks he's starting? Um, there, there's no way that this ends like not awkwardly, I guess. So my my concern is a little bit less of something that I expect to be an actual weakness and more one that was in the very recent past that I think will allow them to maybe overcome it it's just Andrew Wiggins he in the 2022 postseason I think we've already forgotten how amazing this dude was switchable defender defending up position rebounding rim protection even he had like a three and a half percent block rate which is like a a low level center and he's six eight and if he can do that for a full season and obviously had the, the stuff with his family last year and was away from the team and barely got his conditioning back before the playoffs and was not great in the playoffs. So if he could come back and be that version of Andrew Wiggins for a year, he really has not spent that much time around this team, right? So that's still on the table, in my opinion. He's only 28 years old. It would go a really long way for the size issues that they have that we've talked a lot about 
their ability to get to their small, versatile lineups more easily. If if Wiggins can be 2022 playoffs Wiggins, I take this Warriors team way more seriously than I do if he's the guy we saw last year. 100% agree. Um, they, they need him to complete what is going on here. I think particularly with the Chris Paul thing, because it's very possible that like they're closing five is Steph, Chris Paul, Clay Thompson, Andrew Wiggins, and Draymond Green. That is like a very plausible lineup we could see in, in certain situations. Um, it's very small. It's very small on the perimeter. Wiggins is the one that's going to have to absorb a ton of the defensive responsibility. I mean, let's say they play Phoenix in a playoff series. Whoever he defends, if he doesn't control that matchup, it's like, okay, like you're not stopping them at all then, right? Like he, he is their best chance at stopping any kind of wing, whether it's LeBron whether it's whoever they probably you'd assume probably Booker. I mean, would you probably put him Booker him on Booker against Phoenix? Yeah, probably. I mean, it's what we saw against Sacramento, right? He couldn't stop Fox. He couldn't stop Monk. And on the nights when those guys had it and their threes were going in and they were getting to the line, they, the Kings just won those games. And and then when they were able to have a little bit more of an answer, sometimes with Wiggins, sometimes not, then, then they won those games. But yeah, it it's all on him. They just, Clay's not that guy anymore. Draymond's a different type of player. It, it has to be him. Maybe it's Kaminga and Moody. You know, maybe this is finally the year those guys make more of an impact, and that would obviously be huge. But did you just steal my weakness? You don't have you no, don't have one. I, my my weakness for them is is the perimeter. It's it's a broad perimeter size question. This team just doesn't have the Otto Porter kind of thing from a couple years that worked. Like they don't have you know Wiggins. Obviously, just wasn't quite the same last year. Obviously, a lot of personal reasons for that. I, I think this roster is just like tilted again in, in kind of a of a weird way. Um, I you know the pool trade I, I get just dumping him, but it's like to not get a lot of value back for him and and be in the spot and stuff like this would be the spot where you think okay Kuminga steps up and this solves it, but it's like Steve Kerr has not trusted him up until this point. I I don't know who on this roster necessarily is kind of fit, unless it's Wiggins is filling that need to allow them to kind of match up with the kind of and Pat play the kind of perimeter to defense they. They kind of need like it's a it's a tricky spot. I, I mean, they lost even Chenzo as well, who was like a really serviceable player for them. You don't have Iguodala even to like throw out there if you want to for fun, you know? Um, it, well, you haven't had that in like five years, to be fair. No, but like you can't even like talk, tell yourself that it's there, you know? He didn't play last year, but yes, I get your point. I mean, Corey Joseph not doing it for you? No, I mean, I love Gary Payton the second, but are you now over like overextending Gary Payton the second? Yeah, although there is a potential. I mean, he he was out like most of the regular season. So, you know, there's a, a world where he's even better than he was. You know, well, he wasn't and, that great for them and then, last year. And then, he was a, a player yeah. who could get on the court, but that's about it. Well, then you're like, are you hoping it's like, you know, Summer League, Jordan Poole, Lester Keones, it, it pops off? Are you hoping their first-round pick, Brandon Pazizemski, from Santa Clara? Pop? The problem with those two guys is it's two more guards who can't defend. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know about Keones. I'm not going to pretend like I've scouted his defense, but I think the main offensive or the main uh use of him is is very pool like yeah so yeah. that's not somebody you're bringing out to be a, a stopper you know so and chris paul is i mean he's probably a better team defender than jordan pool just because he's really smart and knows kind of how to rotate and, and and execute a defensive scheme but as far as one-on-one they're 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 equivalent and in, in that they're not stopping anybody pool and chris paul both so that that does I, and i would just the last thing i'd bring up the age again here just look, I, I love that they're keeping this group together. I love they're going to get to go out on their shield, so to speak, it would seem. Chris Paul's 38. We know the injury history. And then among their core guys, it's Curry at 35, Draymond is 33, and Clay is 33. 
This is an older group now. Yeah. Yeah, they have to play Kaminga and Moody this year. And Wiggins is going to have to do to to handle a, a big load offensively and defensively. Like that, that's the only way they're a great, a great team this year is if those three guys take, in Wiggins' case, return to form, and the other two take a big step forward and be reliable everyday guys for this team. If that doesn't happen, like, it, it, you know, they're probably a seven game first round series and a second round exit again. All right, let's move on, Brendan. Um, slop of the week, real quick. We're gonna hit on this. I, I this is just I'm gonna ask. I'm gonna give you some names that have worked out for in front of NBA teams and team personnel in Las Vegas, and you're gonna tell me which one, if you had to sign one to play in a team and contribute next year, which one you you think would would work out. Are you ready? Let's do it. John Wall, Deion Waiters, and Harry Giles the third. I have to go with Harry Giles just because. There's a little bit of upside. There's a there's there's a theoretical there that's not there with John Wall, he, who he is only, was a, he, a very much hyped signing last year who turned into nothing, and Deion Waiters, who hasn't been in the NBA in a while. Uh, I, I did not realize Harry Giles was 25 until I Googled him before setting this up. What did you think he was? Older than that? Younger than that? I just thought he was like 28, you know? I don't know. I don't. I, he's just been in my brain for a while, but he's a 2017 draft guy. I don't know why I yeah, thought he was older. That sounds about right. Um, yeah, no. I, we, the Suns also had to work out with, uh, with apparently Jabari Parker, Stanley Johnson, Darren Collison. Like this is this is the who's who of NBA players you forgot were still around. But the, the, this this is what they should do for the year two of of the NBA Cup. Get a bunch of these guys who like aren't on NBA rosters but still want to play. Give them like a G, the equivalent of like a two way salary. So like they get like half the minimum is what the G, the two way salary is now. Give them that, and they get to be, they get to be like a chaos agent in the groups. Like every like like just I don't know how it works. You have to get a lot of these teams, I guess theoretically, but like put or put them put get like seven teams qualify, and then this team of like NBA vets without a home with like Doc Rivers coaching them gets to be the eighth team in the tournament. I was going to say, uh, if you want to keep down that that pathway of getting it crazier and crazier, you could just have the two finalists from the big three oh my form God. one six-man team. <laughs> uh, maybe the, the basketball tournament, the, the TBT thing that's on ESPN, sure. like starting in a few weeks, put that on, put the winner of that on, a, on the NBA Cup knockout round. The problem with the, the NBA Cup part of it, back to that, is you can't add stuff to the knockout round because then all the teams that lose in the group stage are going to be bummed. So you got to integrate them the whole way through. Otherwise, not at all. But, so maybe our chaos doesn't work. I, I want more chaos, though. And I would I would just like to see Dan Waiters like in Las Vegas in December taking like 30 shots. That that for me would 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 be worth it. I love it. Uh, all right. Last thing, Brendan, you watched the Peach Jam finale. I want to start with, well, let me ask you this. What were your broader impressions of Cooper Flag and, and Cameron Boozer? Well, in a more kind of practical sense, it's just that the 2026 draft is going to be really, really good. The 2024 draft looks like it will be pretty bad. Um, unless some guys pop 2025, a lot of those dudes were in the U 18 tournament in South Asia recently and they got crushed and they finished like ninth. So that class doesn't look awesome. 
But 2026 looks amazing because it's Cameron Boozer, who, yes, is the son of Carlos Boozer, Cooper Flagg, who is the second coming of Chet Holmgren. Um, and then Koa Pete, who we talked about a few months ago because he goes to my high school and is in Arizona and he's going the sort of small market public school route. He has He's not transferring to a prep and whatever, but that's three dudes who are freak athletes already as juniors who have like this incredible skill set that feels like it could play in like, you know, at least G League Ignite tomorrow if they wanted it to. And that leads me to the second takeaway, which is honestly, and this was not planned, but it is my uh, my honest feeling watching some of this is back to expansion. The league is too good. Like um, we are at a point where we are so good at producing basketball talent at, that that it's going to require like the expansion of the NBA and more globalization of the game and all this stuff in the not too distant future because every team in the NBA already has like a star level player. And we're talking about more generational talents coming in. I've really liked from, from what I've seen, I I've watched more of like flags kind of highlight stuff. And, and uh, I think like one of his games, uh, I I've liked him just the way, how big he is, the kind of things he seems like he can do from the wing. It's just like every NBA team is going to like want a guy like this. Like it is the size. It is the feel. Um, it's also because Boozer has a he's a twin and he has another brother who's going to be like they're both twins. Yeah. Okay. They're okay. I did not really. Flag is a twin also. It's the weirdest thing. Yeah. His his brother's named Ace and then okay. Cameron Boozer's uh, brother is named Caden. So I knew I knew about Caden. Um, yeah. Here's what I would say. And Koa Pete also the third guy in this group is Andres Pete the lineman for the Saints. That's his brother and he has like five athletes in the family. They're in like college sports and whatnot. So. Yeah, another example of how much we're maturing in terms of producing these dudes is there's just athletes on athletes all of a sudden in, in America, it feels like, in, at least in basketball. So then, then I look at, like, so you're telling me about, like, to, to roll this back a second. Pick. So if Ace, so we have Cooper Flag and Ace Flag, and the other day I said that, like, I want Cooper Flag to, like, star in, like, a Western film. I now need them to star in a Western film together because those are, those are fucking cowboy names. Those are cowboy names. Ace and Cooper Flag, like I know they're from Maine, but those are like you live on a ranch. Like you're in a you're in a Yellowstone spinoff on Paramount Plus with those names. That Taylor Sheridan is going to use your names in a television show. Um, Cooper Flag, that what we've seen, I think, just is really intriguing. There's a lot of time between now and and where this goes, and what these guys. I think the other thing about this that fascinates me, Brendan, having and you watch someone more than me. I am really curious to see like what these guys decide to do as far as their 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 steps post high school, right? Like, do you just who goes G League Ignite? Does anyone go to OT? Does someone go overseas? Do they go to college? Um, I well, part of the interesting thing about this is the Boozers obviously have the inroads to North Carolina, mm-hmm. and then Cooper Flag has been open that it's a dream of his to go to Duke. And so we might we, we might bring be it heading toward a Duke North Carolina so are, situation are we, with these generational guys. So are we bringing is Tobacco Road just like back then? Is this what like really brings back to back the the Tobacco Road rivalry back to the national bigger conscience? Yeah, who went to North Carolina the Zion RJ Reddish year? Oh, I don't think that North Carolina was was very. What good year did they go to Duke? I, I will 19. Google this. What year did they go to Duke? 
2018-19 season was okay. was the the Zion. So, well, tell me um, about this game. Tell me about this game a little bit. Uh, yeah, let me tell you about Cooper Flag. So basically, people have compared him to everybody from Paolo to uh, Andre Kirilenko to Lamar, or like young Lamar Odom. There's really not a comp, partially because he's a white guy who plays like this. His his athleticism is legitimately game changing, and he really just feels like right now to me a smaller Chet Holmgren, if I'm being honest. But his first step, his just foot speed is crazy. He closes out in the blink of an eye. He gets by guys no matter who's guarding him. And he has like the quick, quick twitch leaping at the rim to block. I mean, he'll, you'll look at his box scores in some of these high school games. He has double digit blocks like it's like it's nothing. Um, but he can also pull up from three. He also has open court passing ability and ter- as well as like the, you know, ISO shot creation in the extended post or elbow types of spots. So... I do think it's 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 fair to say we've never seen somebody like Cooper Flag. Whereas Cameron Boozer is, I mean, like I was texting with somebody who's watched him in person, who I know from Phoenix, and there was a big high school competition over here that that Boozer was at, and like he's fifteen. If you like, you watch him, and you're like, that just looks like Paolo's freshman year. Like he is physically already there and he's polished in a way in terms of his footwork and just knowing his role, playing unselfishly, perfect three-point form, very much an NBA player's son type of setup for him. But he feels like he could walk into the NBA tomorrow. And he's the guy that's actually number one in terms of most player, most people's rankings at this point is Boozer. Yeah. Interesting. This, this that class is going to be tons of fun. And um, I, I hope we get them. It would be really cool to see them both in college in kind of like a throwback way. Like, you know, like I'm pro, I love the G League Ignite thing. I think that's been such a great option for guys. It was clearly really good for Scoot. Um, It would be kind of, if these guys go that route, that would be, I think, a really fact. Just to see them in that way, I think would be really interesting. And and if they go. Cooper Flag would become one of the more famous college athletes we've ever seen. I mean, there is an undeniable element of this when an athlete is white, they get more hype and, and that will happen. And it, I mean, I'm not even, it's not even about race. I'm not even saying it will be conscious on anybody's part, but we get really hyped up when there's white basketball players. It just happens. Cause it's so interesting well, and, and it, unique and rare and it Duke. So he's going to, and if he goes to Duke, then that will be even more uh, pronounced. And like he, people should get ready. Like he's already dominating like 12 year old social media, but he's coming. <laughs> 12 social um, all right, Brendan. Let's. Here's the 2018-19 Tar Heels roster. Are you ready? Let me give you some of the. Yeah, na- I'm not, I have it up. Too. I'm not going to give you every every name, but I'm going to give you the highlights. Leaky Black, who's on a two way deal with the the Charlotte Hornets. Kobe White, Nazir Little, Cameron Johnson, Luke May, uh, Garrison. Hit one of the most famous shots in Tar Heel history. Mm-hmm. Yep. Garrison Brooks is there. He's uh, played in the G. He he was with the. Uh, it's a Purge Wikipedia page with the Westchester Knicks. Not going to pretend like I, I knew that. Um, a lot of guys without Wikipedia pages. Yeah. No, that team was fun. I, I had forgotten the that was the Kobe White, Cam Johnson, yeah, little year that they all got drafted in the first round. And that was when the, the draft where Kobe White, the reaction he had to Cam Johnson going 11th, he was just like dumbfounded, but he was super hyped up because his guy got, you know, reached for, so to speak, in the draft. Um yeah, that's what we're headed for. I mean, I honestly feel like uh, the coolest part is that they're all different, but they're all basically like six, eight athletic freaks who just already feel like they could play NBA basketball at age 16. 
they're all exactly like perfect modern forwards. And that's kind of a, a funny part of this too. It's not Scoot at 6'3 as a pick and roll guard and Victor as like a Kevin Durant clone who are very different. It's like three of the same player who just play differently. And so it's going to be really fun. Uh, I kind of wish they were going to college this year because, again, this draft class, not too spectacular. So I real quick, I looked up the the ESPN, at least their most recent one. Um, you know, so there, I don't know how often this is updated. I can't exactly tell you. It's hard to tell. Uh, there's a kid in Cuyahoga Falls named Darren Peterson, which is near me. Cuyahoga Valley Christian Academy, five-star prospect, 6'5", 185. So kind of more in the guard vein. This isn't one of these like ultra forwards. Um, I might be going out to Cuyahoga Falls, Brennan. Sounds good. He's, uh, yeah. I'm looking. So I, I a lot. the best place for this for me is uh, NBA Draft Room. They have like mock drafts out to 2020, like six or 2027 because they're sickos. And I believe they have all three of these guys um, at, at the top three. I'm just going to stand for Koa Pete no matter what, even if he gets left behind in some of this, because it just feels like the perfect, having watched him play, it just feels like the perfect scenario where he's going to go to a small school and not be heavily recruited. And then it'll just, he'll get to college and everyone will remember that he's amazing. He's the best athlete of the three, in my opinion. And he just lives in a suburb of Phoenix. So he's not going to get the same hype that Carlos Boozer's son or, you know, this white freak athlete is is going to get. But co-repeat for, for life. That's my... I'm going to get a t-shirt. Uh, I'm into it. All right, that's going to be it for the Just Basketball Show for Wednesday, July 12th. Thanks again to Dylan Heiser and Jake Stevens for their work on production. Go to the link below and click the link. Buy or something from our friends at Amit. Show them the money comes back to us. Support the show. Like the one, please rate, subscribe, review in your podcast platform of choice. I'm Chris Manning. That's Brennan Clean. Back at you next week. Maybe we'll get some more Damian Lillard trade rumors between on then. Lord knows that that's really going to happen. But enjoy the summer league hoops in the WNBA. Until next time.